you are listening to a night dream. A night dream podcast. Well, uh, one day I would like to finish the two books that I started. You are listening to a night dream. The night dream podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Night Dream podcast. In this episode, each night dream imagines a different future. The first night dream is called Heartburn by guest writer Ed Jin. It is the future and it has been 15 years since the last known case of heartburn. Your boss congratulates your team on an increase in productivity for the 15th year in a row. You go to the complimentary buffet for your third helping of spicy beef tacos and wash them down with two energy drinks. You feel the corners of each individual piece of food stacked on top of each other, a skyscraper in your stomach. You feel a fizz inside of you, a rumble of gas starts to build but suddenly evaporates. You lift your arms, click your neck and back and then slump down to the floor. An army of red ants rush underneath your body to transport you to the leisure centre on the east of the company's grounds. This is good because you're in a hurry to meet your wife for your daily squash game. Gliding horizontally, you investigate row upon row of employees' workstations. They're slouched on medium-sized single beds propped up awkwardly by pillows. Their faces aglow with light from all the electrical devices surrounding them. In one employee's eyeglasses, you are certain you see a reflection of muscular firemen with thick moustaches. Amongst the workers are the remains of coffee cups, energy drinks and wrappers from sugary treats. In amongst the debris, packs of vultures aggressively rip apart the litter. Around 15 years ago, your company launched a scheme to protect an endangered species of vulture and employ them. They roam the grounds and eat the rubbish created by human employees. When the vultures were first introduced to the company, HR provided everyone with a badge depicting a silver vulture chewing on a zero-waste sign. You proudly fondle this badge as you pass them. The vibration of ants beneath you stops close to a vending machine. You feel the hard uncomfortableness of the concrete as the ants abandon you on the hard floor. Lifting your head to overlook your stomach, you see that the ants have been attracted to a spilled energy drink. The front of the vending machine has been smashed, its contents either stolen or half-eaten. Annoyed that the ants will not respond to you, you reluctantly stand up. You make your way to the squash court, trying to conserve as much energy as you can. Your wife has won the last three games and the thought of losing a fourth makes you visualise your signature on the divorce form. You greet your wife with a brisk nod on the whitewashed courts. She returns your nod and adopts a stance that shows she is about to serve. Thwack, the rubber ball ricochets into the far corner of the court, and you sprint to return the ball. The squeaking of your trainers ends with a grunting exhale as you slice the ball into the floor. Second point, thwack to the far opposite corner and you stretch and twist your body into a backhand position. Your racket misses the ball and scuffs the floor, creating a black slug-like mark. 
You really are sweating now. Third point. The ball smacks into the centre of your chest. You drop to one knee. The white walls begin to shake, spinning, and there's a burning in your stomach. You think you taste battery acid. Shortness of breath. Cold sweats. A shooting pain in your shoulder. The next night dream is called The Shrink. In the future, all things change size all the time for reasons that you don't understand. One day you are walking to the bus stop when your right foot and the shoe on your right foot become tiny. You fall and reach out towards the ground, and for a moment it seems like your whole upper body must have shrunk down, but instead it's the world that has shrunk, so you hover above it awkwardly. Eventually you shrink down to fit into the new size that the world has become, but as you shrink down to the new size of the world, you continue to fall towards the pavement. How unlucky, two personal and a worldwide shrink in the same day. At least you only fell over. You try to get your phone out of your pocket to see what happened to everyone else, but your phone is so small that you can't find it amongst the lint and other tiny things in your pocket. The next night dream is called The Gun. In the future, the earth has almost run out of oil. For a long time, this scarcity causes an inflation in the price of oil, until eventually, all other industries become unprofitable. Instead of changing how they operate, companies pool their resources to lobby various governments to regulate the cost of oil. In unison, the remaining oil companies, owned by one person, announced that they have synthesized a new form of petrol, so efficient that nothing needs to be changed, that just one drop of their new oil, diffused, can run an entire country for a year. Industry is saved, and so can remain exactly as it is. People all over the world are relieved that the price of oil has finally stopped rising, and they can begin to pay off their low-interest fuel loans. This doesn't last long as a plane carrying 10 drops of the new fuel crashes into the ocean, immediately setting every bit of seawater on fire. The biggest fire the world has ever seen, that shows no sign of going out and burns hot enough to prevent travel by air. You were born on a large island, just large enough that the middle is cool enough to inhabit. On some days when there isn't much oxygen, the flames don't burn as high and you can see the mainland. You've been told repeatedly that you're lucky to be alive, so long after the event. Things are better now, the heat is less unbearable, and you can't miss the before that you didn't live through. Still you're scared, as tomorrow you have to take the test. The test that is forbidden to talk about but as far as you understand, was introduced to stop people in your community from walking into the fire. A violent, nostalgic rejection of what is and was. Something you have heard about, but never seen. In the morning, your parents drop you off at the test centre, where you're ushered into a room and told to sit in the chair opposite the desk. The person who ushered you sits down opposite you, and explains that the computer will ask you a series of questions that you must answer, as you see fit. Then they unlock and remove a box from the desk, 
exposing a gun connected to the computer by wires. This gun will shoot you if you make too many mistakes. You may begin now, the examiner says as they leave the room. And you are surprised at how easy some of the questions are, and you make sure to take as much time as you need to fully answer each question. The screen tells you that you've completed the test, and you may exit the room. You leave feeling thrilled that you are still alive. Their next night dream is called A Future in Which All Surviving Members of Earth Democratically Elect to Enter the Orbverse. In the future, virtual reality is better than real reality. Technology has advanced enough, so the reality you choose within the virtual is vastly better than any life you could be living outside of it. You feel everything, or if you choose to, you don't. Generations of people have enjoyed extended physical life while experiencing any mixture of life found in different extremes of existence. You have just finished a start with your extended real family as a family of geese living on an island in the middle of a river. At first you thought that the lack of communication would be a problem, but you soon learned to relish the simplicity. The behavioural patterns of your new life suited you nicely. Pausing to make a note, you think how fun it's been to exist as an animal that is comfortable, flying, swimming, or just walking around. After a gentle life, Goose Yu rests its head against the loam, easing into the soil and dying. Waking up, it takes you a moment to get used to your original body, and you look in the mirror and see a cleanly shaved, toned human face looking back at you. Kind but distinctly inhuman robots tend to your physical needs, both immediate and spiritual. The robots wordlessly, dutifully remove all traces of humanity from the earth at your request. You and everyone else float in a giant orb orbiting the earth. It has been this way since the robots worked it out to be the best storage solution while they repair climate damage. Nobody dies naturally, but equally, nobody is allowed to be born. This has been deemed the best way to solve the big problem. You receive a brain message from your son, who is unhappy with their shorter goose life, killed by a fox on the riverbank, but they quickly liven up, telling you how they inhabited smaller animals and insects with shorter lifespans, and so felt close to the family while experiencing something they assure you felt even more primal and real than their short time as a goose. You decide to rejoin the remaining members of your family as a flower. At first you find the total lack of muscles suffocating, and by the time you acclimatize, you have already shed your petals and returned to the orb. You send a message to your entire family telling them about the flower, how you didn't see or hear but felt the warmth of existence and eventually they support your decision to live as the large willow tree that shades the island on the river. It is while living this life that you begin to understand the members of your community that have by choice elected to die. The next night dream is called The Referendum. In the future there are wolves everywhere. They are more or less exactly like the wolves of the past, but to walk to the shops, you would have to push your way through hundreds of them, maybe thousands. This has emboldened the wolves. 
Because of this, life has changed dramatically. Every car has a scoop on the front, fitted to safely move packs of wolves from the road, scooping them to the side. Speed limits have also been drastically reduced, so that around most of the country the speed limit is now 15 miles per hour, which goes down even more in densely packed cities. The country is flooded with wolves, and you have a love-hate relationship with them. You love looking down at them asleep as you ride the sky rail, but sometimes when you're in a hurry, pushing the kids through the front door tube into the car as hungry wolves jump against it makes you miss the old days. On good days it doesn't bother you at all. You even sleep through the howling that so many of your friends struggle with. Your children were born into it and don't know any differently. Ultimately you are fine, happy with the decision. You wouldn't have chosen wolves, in fact you didn't. None of your five votes were for wolves. You would have loved for something smaller and sweeter, or, represented by your more practical votes, would have been happy with a more established agricultural animal to become the animal. Cows may on the surface appear to create lots of environmental problems, but they're content to stand in a field, behave gently, and spend the day eating. Still, you can't complain. One of your friends said that they heard from another friend that they know of a group who secretly voted for spiders. A wolf howls just before your timer goes off, reminding you to pick up the kids. Things are okay, but you just can't get used to the taste of wolf meat. The next night dream is called the Yassified Prometheus. In the future, people gather together at the side of a river, a river formed on a bank of clay, made living by chemicals. An unexpected side effect of local industry. You are visiting the river to replace your nose, which you lost recently in an accident that gives you nightmares. You felt punished, unable to look into a mirror without being revolted by your new face. So you've gone to the river and reached down into the bank, grabbing a handful of clay. All around you, people gather to help each other remake themselves. You see many complex shapes, hands held still next to delicate clay replacements. You push the clay into the flat of your face, pushing down onto the sides to create a ridge. Up at the end, and carefully you sculpt yourself a clay nose. It surprises you just how much the clay smells like wet clay. The chemicals within the clay speak to your brain, giving it the information that it asks for. You begin hollowing out nostrils, using the river as a mirror. When the new nose looks right, you sit very still by the river, letting the clay harden in the sun. Years later, you are watching a news report about the river, warning that, although the chemicals have been good for the clay, they have made prolonged contact with the water quite deadly. The chemicals put enormous strain onto the liver as it tries unsuccessfully to break them down. In fact, all rights to access the river have been revoked, and all rights to distribute its clay have been bought by a well-known wellness and lifestyle brand. The next night dream is called Population. In the future, people aren't born, they are made. Your vision is for society to evolve past traditional birth, separating us from animals, and in doing so creating a generation free of original sin, 
a generation free of people living outside of the biological loop. The company you work for is by no means perfect, but you are certain that they have humanity's best interests at heart. Records of the company's failed alterations are kept locked away from prying eyes, but you, head of a team about to roll out the next stage of human biology, have access. You flick through pages of information. Your eyes scan through the documents. Going quite far back, you discover an early attempt at perfection, or what you now see as a huge risk that didn't pay off. 10% of the population, isolated and born without fingers, their arms ending abruptly in closed fists, allowing this generation to avoid the temptation that comes with complex manipulation of the physical world, an idea that to you seems ridiculous, but got your company noticed by some very influential people. The next project you scroll past astounds you, Another segment of society that will all die on the same day, inspired by ancient cults, who at least the project manager believed could accomplish great projects with the deadline of death looming over them. Fascinating, but untenable. Besides, you notice that the company's philosophy department pointed out that fear of death does little to mould existing societies for the better, we just become better at imagining our own survival at the expense of others, which you think is a hard sell. You find a similar project where instead of dying at the same time, people collectively lost their memories at the same time and were forced into applying new logic onto old technology, and you are pleased that the company has passed its obsession with death and forgetting. Knowing that you haven't got long left to write up your own plan, you open one more project to look at. You scan the hypothesis and see an interesting argument for the future. It is well known that cats and dogs outlived other species of animals, so we must do the same for the environment. And so they devised and embedded a gene within a large portion of the population that multiplied empathy for inanimate objects and concepts. This project was quickly terminated after creating a generation of people who valued thought above reproduction. However ideologically pure their ideas, the simple fact that for the company to make money, it must create a future-proof society, its numbers must grow instead of decline. So you start entering your own theory into the database. People don't have to be good, just less willing to harm others. We will ensure this overall harm reduction by isolating and removing the cruelty gene. People who can will pay our company to be born with this gene still intact. The next night dream is called So Little. In the future, there is so little natural oxygen left that most people are forced to sleep for most of their lives. Only the most wealthy can afford to be awake for most of their young lives. On some floors, people speculate about the obscene wealth needed to live a life half awake. This has created many new philosophies, ways of being, and a media which constantly proclaims the importance of preserving oxygen to people who are mainly asleep. You have been brought out of hibernation to decide how to allocate your next year of air. So far in your 15 years, you have only been awake for seconds, a choice made for you by your parents. They, like many, put more value on the sentient years of a life. You spent your first 15 years on the same level of a building, 
based on ancient designs for the multi-story car park. Walking or anything out of suspended animation is discouraged, so it's perfectly normal to wake up exactly where you need to be, never spending any time in between places. On your level of the facility, people live by the 100 rule. They are allowed to live to 100. This limitation seems reasonable, as it's been deemed a long life and a fair amount of time to be alive by any previous civilization's standards. For this lifespan, you are given 100 hours awake, or just over four days. Though it has been some time since people talked about days, these days it is much more normal to think in minutes. After watching the free and very fast advert that condenses years of history into five minutes, you're left feeling empty. You don't believe that one minute with a friend chosen for you by a genetic AI is worth ten years asleep, so you decide to take all of your time now, all 85 hours left, and the computer does nothing to stop you, as technically it is your time, your right to spend four days awake and then sleep until you die. After taking off your mask, you leave the bed-sized room. It means nothing to you, so you start walking down the long corridor that you were wheeled in through as a baby. Each room you pass houses someone sleeping, and you pass hundreds. Eventually, you reach a crossroad that has an emergency staircase that you start to climb, occasionally sticking your head out to see different floors, where mostly there are the same rooms filled with people sleeping but sometimes great halls filled with people talking quickly. Other times you see people watching films or doing other things in smaller, intimate rooms. As you climb more and more flights of stairs, you pass increasingly strange sights. People running, playing games, out of breath, but smiling and laughing. All against the conditioning you assume everyone on your floor has also watched in their free awake time. You go higher into the complex, passing a luscious green room where people are walking around with dogs, an animal you have learnt about but never seen before. The people seem relaxed and their conversations have none of the intensity of the lower floors. On the next level you find a huge library filled with comfortable old materials. A man is asleep on one of the sofas, not plugged into any oxygen-saving devices, with a book sprawled across his lap. Seeing him lie there, using his awake time to sleep, while everyone you know dutifully sleeps, changes the world before your eyes. Walking over to the man, you grip his neck and squeeze. The next night dream is called Gravitational Time Dilation. In the future, Earth's rotation has slowed down massively, making everything heavier Inertia has intensified to such an extent that an entire lifetime can be lived in the time it takes to leave one room and enter another. You live under such extreme forces that by the first time you stand up, the technology that exists around you has educated you to a degree thought impossible by previous generations of your species. Everyone starts life in a cradle, swapped out by machines operating at incredible speeds. The machines work at instantaneous speeds and they don't make mistakes. They clean you and change your clothes. The machines are designed to design future iterations of themselves, which are increasingly robust to withstand the forces acting on them, 
and in turn to shield you from the intense gravity while attempting to give you a normal life. It is too late to speed up Earth's rotation, so now humanity lives in a gulf of lived experience and knowledge. Thanks to the machines that keep you healthy, your machine registers a change in your brainwaves, indicating that you would like to look out of the window, so it offers you thousands of videos and virtual experiences of what it would be like to see outside with your own eyes. The machine has calculated the time it would take you to go outside, and that it would take you towards the end of your natural lifespan. The machine expresses its condolences. It would move you itself, but the force needed would crush your body. You consider watching another video, but then let the machine know that you would like to make the journey out of your cot and towards the window. The machine knows that there is nothing outside. The world outside of your container has been crushed into diamonds, so it plans a detour into your journey, and you begin. The next night dream is called Do Not Let Abject Misery Ruin Your Day. You download a new app to your phone called Do Not Let Abject Misery Ruin Your Day. Every time your phone camera notices your face scrunch up in disappointment or sadness, it flashes the message, Do Not Let Abject Misery Ruin Your Day. And at the start you are grateful for its interjections, until it starts to become annoying. You keep the app for a few weeks before deleting it. You think about downloading another app called You Can Only Live Life With Courage, Grace and Positivity, but your train goes into a tunnel and you lose signal. The last night dream of the episode is called Killed By A Falling Oven. In the future, the earth has peeled backwards, detaching from itself, copying the threaded lines of a baseball. This seismic rupture has split society into people on the top and people on the bottom. You live on the bottom and you hate the people who live at the top. Recently, someone on top managed to drop an oven mid-delivery, purely accidentally, which fell onto your grandmother, killing her instantly. You admit to close friends that, yes, you've never liked the people above, even before the event, mainly because you hate how they talk about people living below them, how they steal anything that falls towards them. After a few drinks at the wake, a distant relative says to you that they wish the world had set differently. Just how different things would be if gravity had changed to meet in the middle. I'm really pleased to have a night dream by Edgin on the podcast. As well as being a good friend, he's a comedian, writer and illustrator. I'll link his Twitter in the show notes.